The reading is taken from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. As we sit, let's pray. Our Father God, we pray that the Holy Spirit will enable us to understand the implications of this short passage in Acts for our life as your people here in St. Andrews. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When was the last time you joined some organization as a committed member. There were almost certainly three elements involved. First, you had to fulfill the criteria for membership. These may have been related to your stage of life or where you live or your abilities or skills. Thus, you cannot join Mensa unless you get a high score in their intelligence tests. You should not be able to join a choir unless you can sing. You can only join the local neighborhood watch if you live permanently in the area to be covered. And joining an organization almost certainly involves paying a membership fee and going through some admission ceremony, though I suspect this is uncommon today outside the scouts and the guides. Second, you would be expected to join in the activities of the organization, the program, the practices involved. 
So joining a sports club generally presupposes at least a desire to play and to be involved in team activities. Joining a neighbourhood watch involves keeping a regular eye on what is going on in your road. And third, in signing up, you are committed to the overall purposes of the organisation. It's a political party, the purpose is to gain and exercise power. It's a social club, the purpose is to enjoy the company of other members. If it's a sports club, the purpose is to win silverware. If it is a choir, the purpose is to make music for the enjoyment of both members and those who come along to listen. Now, there are common threads here across a wide range of social organisations which can be conveniently summarised as people, practices and purposes. Nice to have three Ps to remember. The people of God are no different. What happened in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost was consistent with the pattern we've already observed in this sermon series exploring the theme of the people of God. God calls a people for himself. The community life of that people is to be characterized by practices that build them up together, and thereby God's purposes in the world are fulfilled. So with the help of this passage this morning, let's look at these three, people, practices, purposes. We begin with people. So who can join the New Testament people of God. The day of Pentecost began with Jesus' disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. And St. Peter is thus empowered to deliver a powerful address to the assembled crowd. It's not clear where the crowd had gathered, in the temple courts perhaps, as the only large open space in the city. In summary, Peter tells the story of Jesus and explains his significance for those who are listening. He recounts that Jesus was a man, but divinely attested by signs or miracles, that he was put to death by crucifixion with the active connivance of the people in the crowd, that he was raised from the dead, and that he had been exalted to God's right hand from where he had poured out his spirit. And the punchline of his address comes in verse 36. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The crowd were shaken by this address. They were, verse 37, cut to the heart. Why? They recognized their own part in the condemnation of Jesus before Pilate. So there was guilt. But they also realized their failure to recognize Jesus for who he was. So there was frustration at a lost opportunity. We probably don't appreciate the reality of their despair at their failure. If Jesus really was the Christ, the one who was to rescue God's people, how had they failed to recognize him? Hence their despairing question in verse 37. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter's response in verse 38 is repent, and be baptized. Now, the conditions for becoming one of God's people, Jesus' people, the New Testament people of God, are both demanding and not demanding. They are demanding 
because they involve repentance. In this case, acknowledging their failure to recognize Jesus and their wickedness in taking part in his killing. It also involved completely changing their minds about Jesus and hence their attitude towards him. None of us likes admitting our failings, whether those be moral or just simply a lack of understanding. But the conditions for becoming one of Jesus' people are not demanding because there are no criteria for membership. Indeed, there is nothing they or we can offer. But unlike other social groupings to which we might seek to belong, there is a ceremony to recognize membership of Christ's kingdom, baptism. It is hard to imagine a more dramatic ceremony than adult baptism, with the believer going under the water to signify death to their old life and coming up out of the water as a new person in Christ. And what are the benefits of becoming a member of God's people? Look again at verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First, then, there is forgiveness for past faults, the sins of commission exemplified among Peter's listeners, and the sins of omission exemplified by their failure to recognize Jesus. But second, the gift of the Holy Spirit who will enable them to grow in the likeness and character of Jesus. There is one other aspect of Peter's response to the crowd's question that is worth reflecting. In verse 39, Peter notes the promise of forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit is not confined to his listeners on that day. The promise is extended to all whom the Lord your God will call. Jesus calls us to follow him. We are invited. The initiative comes from him, not from us. For many organizations, what we can offer them, our expertise, our abilities, our experience, and our subscriptions, are what matters. But with God, the movement is entirely one way. Nothing we can offer counts in our favor in becoming a member of the people of God. It is entirely a matter of his gracious calling. Well, so much for the people. Now let's look at the practices. Social organizations will be characterized by practices, the activities that the participants are expected to engage in. And verses 42 to 47 spell out the practices of the early church in Jerusalem. First, it was a learning environment. The apostles taught, and their authority in teaching was authenticated by wonders and miraculous signs. Note that the gift of the Spirit was no substitute for using their minds to understand God's purposes in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So what did the apostles teach? Presumably they passed on the teaching of Jesus himself but they also related Jesus to the teaching of the Old Testament 
Peter's address is larded with quotes from the Old Testament and the interpretation of those passages for understanding Jesus. We know that spelling out the significance of Jesus preoccupied many of the early teachers in the church. We have it in the sermons that are recorded in Acts, but also in the teaching of the apostles recorded in the epistles. Learning from Scripture, learning from Scripture, is rightly central to our life here in St. Andrews. But second, it was a community of love expressed in sharing. The Greek word koinonia, translated fellowship in verse 42, goes far beyond cheerful togetherness. It is exemplified by the astonishing description in verses 44 and 45. Let me read those to you again. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. One suggestion about this passage is that the radical sharing was a temporary measure while the infant church became established. Some of the early converts on the day of Pentecost would have been visitors who came from a distance to attend the Passover and whose journey home was delayed while they attended to the teaching of the apostles. They needed provision for their unexpected stay in Jerusalem. Be that as it may, sharing resources was a wider concern of the early church as indicated, for example, by the appeals for funds that the Apostle Paul later made to the churches in Antioch and Asia Minor when the church in Judea fell on hard times. Currently, there is a church in Oxford which has a hardship fund to help out members who are in financial difficulties. And in the past, members of St. Andrews helped out financially an Iraqi Christian family who was stranded without funds during one of the wars in the Middle East involving Iraq. There are certainly other examples of sharing in St. Andrews, not perhaps financial resources, but time and things. We need to encourage a culture of sharing if we are to be faithful to our calling as the people of God. And then, third, it was a worshipping community. The summary in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer, is spelt out in verses 46 and 47. Let me read those to you again. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. <coughs> It's clear they continued to attend the daily worship in the temple, and this continued until the violent persecution described later in Acts made it impossible. Meeting in the temple courts enabled them to function as a community. The commentaries differ as to the interpretation of the breaking of bread, which is mentioned twice in this short passage. Some take the line that this referred to ordinary meals which were shared between groups of believers. Others that these meals were involved in the Lord's Supper. What is evident 
is that this contributed to a vibrant community life. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Once again, our context is different. But we should learn from their regular community gatherings for worship, even if we can't manage every day. Sunday services should be the highest priority for us as Christians. And we might add that meeting regularly with other Christians in a small group during the week is essential for most of us. And particularly in this week of prayer, when we join the whole Anglican communion worldwide in Thy Kingdom Come, we should not overlook the fact that the early Christians devoted themselves to prayer. Praying together as a church is not an optional extra. The emphasis on the Christians eating together is also something we should learn from. Our shared meal on the fourth Sunday, for example, is a valuable reminder that we should exercise the gift of hospitality if we can in our particular circumstances. So we've dealt with the people. We've examined the practices. So now the purposes. What is the point of it all? Why should we give so much of our time and attention to living Christian lives in the context of our church? Is it, as many of our friends, neighbors, and colleagues believe, just an optional extra in our lives? You're involved in the church. I play golf. So it is for them no big deal, even if it's a bit of an odd odd as a leisure activity. Look again at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The growth of the early church did not end with the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. The point of the church is literally to rescue the world from sin and evil and to do this by drawing in those who have no faith in God and hence no hope. We have the good news of Jesus Christ to share and that is our purpose. We'll say more about this great commission in the last sermon in this series in early July. But what is interesting about this verse, and the Lord added daily to their number daily, those who are being saved, what's interesting about it is it comes immediately after the description of the practices of the early church. The implication is that the new members were attracted not only by the message of Jesus, but also to the community of Jesus, which was enjoying the favor of all the people. The direction of movement from outsiders progressed from being attracted to the Christian community to being open to the gospel which lay at the heart of that community. Now, on occasions in the past... St. Andrews has had the reputation of being closed and unwelcoming, a foreign body intruding into the community of North Oxford. That judgment was unfair in many respects, but it should give us pause for reflection and perhaps repentance. We live in an age when reputation is the key to acceptance a point that the marketing experts make all the time. The lack of a good reputation may mean 
that our neighbours find it easy to ignore or deny our message. I think we need to think hard about how to break through ignorance and prejudice and being an open and serving community could well be most effective. Many years ago, I encountered a university colleague who lived in the parish. We were on the parish outside, on the pavement outside St Andrews on a Sunday morning. I think he was surprised to see me there. He asked about the church. He simply could not understand how what he regarded as a moribund and useless institution could attract so many people. He was actually sufficiently impressed that later he encouraged his daughter to come to Sago, though as far as I know, he never came himself. The point is, a vibrant and lively community can attract. So what is our conclusion from all of this? What can we learn from this short passage in Acts about the life of the early church in Jerusalem? First, let's remind ourselves that we are the people of God, called by him to follow Jesus. We are called. We don't apply, and we don't bring any qualifications to the table. We are to respond to his calling by repentance and in baptism, putting the past behind us and committing ourselves to live for Jesus. And note that a people is much more than a gathering of individuals. We are to understand that we are related to each other in Christ, so we belong together. But second, as God's people, there are practices that are essential to our community life. We are here to learn more about God and his purposes, and that involves a focus on teaching and learning from God's word. We are to express our love for one another within the church by sharing what we have, including our resources and our homes. We are to worship together and to give that priority in our busy lives. And we are to devote ourselves to prayer. Third, we are to see our shared life as God's people as contributing to his purpose to rescue the world from sin and evil. To that end, our purpose is to be a community that is attractive to non-Christians so that the prejudices against Christian faith, which are endemic in our social and cultural environment, can be overcome. That way, hearts and minds will be opened to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, just as happened in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you have called us, even us, to be your people. We pray that you will enable us by your Spirit to be a learning community, a sharing community, and a worshipping community. And we pray that others, attracted by our community life, will be willing to hear the good news 
of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this for his name's sake. Amen.